The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Lord, I do want to stop and thank you. Thank you for those scars that you bore for us. And uh, we, our desire, Lord, is that you be lifted high here this day. Would you take our time now as we look at your word and do that in your name? Amen. Be seated. Thank you, guys. Man, everybody kind of led one but you, Kevin. What's the deal? <laughs> Get that man a microphone next time. Hey, um, you know, uh, being the weird fellow that I am, we are going to continue to look at Jesus' final discourse. So he's going to talk about coming back. Being the weird fellow that I am, I thought, you know how baseball players have their walk-up music? I, I thought if they played, you know, the old Temptations, get ready, because here I come. As I came up here, that would have really spiced things up. Not really our style, so we won't go with that. But we are going to definitely continue talking about, you know, Jesus, uh, his first coming was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Uh, his second coming is actually prophesied three times as many as his first coming. It is a guaranteed thing. Jesus is coming back. We know a lot about his coming back from Scripture. We know a lot about how he's going to come back. We know why he's going to come back. We know what's going to happen at the time. One of the things that he said very clearly, though, that you do not know is what question? When? We don't know. And remember last week when the disciples wanted to know what, uh, what the deal is, when's he going to set up his kingdom? Uh, he said, well, the thing is, uh, you're going to see some things going on. And he compared it, remember, to childbirth. He said, remember, you're going to see an increase in the intensity and in the frequency of certain things. And he listed a bunch of those things, things that we see going on in our world today, whether they mean natural disasters, whether they, would they be people even falling away from God, uh, whether would they see, we see disease and things like that. These things, Jesus said, are going to increase. They're going to become more. So processing that is a little hard for us from the standpoint of, and that's not really what we wanted to hear. <laughs> You're telling me, cheer up, things are going to get worse. Uh, and um, thinking about that, and as I was processing that, even after the sermon last week, read these verses on uh, Monday morning, and I want to share them with you before we jumped into the rest of Jesus' final discourse there. And uh, from the book of Job, which you may be familiar, Job was the ultimate example of somebody who faced the difficulties of this life, okay? He's the guy we look to, the trials of Job, the ultimate example. He knew what it was like to walk through the uh, sin-cursed world and experience a lot of the hardships of it. And you may remember this first phrase. You may have heard that before because it's been put into songs, but uh, Job said, I know, that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. He says, I see this now. I see the difficulty I'm facing now, but I know the day is coming when he will stand and rule and reign upon this earth. And he says, after my skin has thus been destroyed, he says, this body of mine that has fallen apart, when it ultimately falls apart completely, yet in my flesh I will see God. He will give me a new body, and I will see him and know him. And I thought just to summarize that whole idea, how do we process this world, you know, other than the pastor just standing up and saying, hey, good news, things are going to get worse. How do we make it through? Well, we look at what Job said here. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. 
I know the day is going to come when he rules and reigns. I know that even though this body that I have now is falling apart and the, and the flesh is decaying, I will have a new body and I will stand with him forever. That's how we make it. Now, as I mentioned last week, in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus gave three parables to tell us how to get ready. Before we dive into them, they, they have, some of them you're going to recognize if you've been around church. Some of them, I don't know how to say this, have become weapons of pastors. Not saying that pastors could be manipulative, but some of those guys, those other guys, uh, can kind of use Scripture sometimes to accomplish what they want to say. And some of them you're going to recognize, but I wanted to actually do kind of a strange thing. There are three different parables here. I wanted to start with the end of each one because I want you to see the main idea that Jesus is communicating. And then then we'll go back and go through them. Okay, you ready? All right. In chapter 24, the last couple of verses of his first parable, he tells the story about two servants uh, that the master has gone away. And he says, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour when he does not know. And when he will, <laughs> here's Pastor's really cheerful this month. Uh, he will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so the story is told as these two servants. We're going to go back and look at that. But it says, in the day when he comes, this one servant who is not ready for him, he doesn't know he's coming, he doesn't believe he's coming, here's what's going to happen to him. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the second story, which is the story of the bridesmaids or the ten virgins, we'll look at that in a minute too, but afterwards the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Wait a minute, Lord, we want in. And he's going to answer and say, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So Jesus is saying, I'm coming. Get ready. Those who are not ready, here we go. And then in, in the last parable, same idea. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have a, an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, again, we're going to go back through these parables in a second. I want you to see the lessons. But these are the words of Jesus. Okay, this is what Jesus said. Now, I'm pointing that out for a couple different reasons, but one is we have this idea. I, I saw, you know, on my little feed that comes up, I think it was on YouTube that comes up, there was a story, and it had a picture of a preacher I'm familiar with. Some of you would be too. And it says, this guy doesn't know the real Jesus. It caught my attention. Inquiring minds want to know. Uh, I'm a sucker for those things. But this guy doesn't know the real Jesus. So I started watching him. And they said this. And they played this guy. And he was basically reading the scripture. He was reading in Revelation where Jesus came and he said, I I'm coming and I will recompense. Okay? I'm going to judge the earth. And, and this guy says, this guy that says these things, he doesn't even know the scripture. He doesn't, he doesn't know that Jesus is love. Okay, now listen. When somebody's standing here reading the scripture and reading the exact words of Christ to tell him that he doesn't know the scripture probably isn't that intelligent. So I wanted to tell you, here's what I'm doing. I am reading what Jesus said. You say, well, don't you want to emphasize God's love? For sure. But see, the, the idea is that if we would understand the, the love of God poured out in what Jesus did when he came and died upon the cross. Greater love has no man than this, and he laid on his life for his friends. Uh, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, why did he have to give his son? Why did Jesus have to come and die? Because there is a price for sin. 
because there are consequences for sin, and Jesus paid that price. And can I say this too? You know, I'm a, I'm a very, uh, this word nebby, do you know what the word nebby is? If somebody is nebby, you ever hear that? I think that must be a Pittsburgh word. If you're nosy, if you uh, want to know what's going on, okay, I, I definitely have that problem. My wife's like, oh boy, do you have that problem? Uh, but like, she'll leave, uh, you know, she'll, we're, we're in a restaurant and she goes off to the restroom. She always comes back. She says, so what you find out? Cause I'm listening to all the other conversations going on. Well, that guy over there, uh, he doesn't get along at all with his wife. Uh, but uh, I like to, so anyway, I'm sitting in a restaurant the other day, listening to people. And I kept hearing this phrase. I think in the, in the course of a minute, I think I heard this guy say they had asked him about vacation and he used this phrase. He kept saying, oh, it was as fun as hell, fun as hell, fun as hell. And I thought, where did that stupid expression come from? Uh, did you read what we said here about the whole weeping and the gnashing of teeth? Fun as hell probably is not the expression we want here. Okay, that probably doesn't fit where we're at. I'm not sure where we came up with that one. So I stood up in a restaurant on the table. No, I didn't. I just uh, didn't, didn't do anything. We, we just let the guy go. Okay, anyway, we're going back now. We want to go back. And again, I'm going to call these the lesser truths of the lesson. These are sometimes, you might have heard these preached before, and, and they are truths. They're good. But uh, going back through here, again, I'm in 24 of the first parables in chapter 24 of Matthew. Who then is faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant who, in whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Okay, the, the master has gone away. The one who is obediently serving, this is a good thing. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at the end of hour, and at the, an hour that he does not know. The first thing that would be, if you want to say just the, it is a lesson, but it is a lesser lesson is we do not, we are not to procrastinate good, good works. Um, I remember when I was a, a young man and was expressing an interest in preaching. I remember they said, hey, do you want to preach to the kids, junior church? And I said, sure. And uh, I had no idea what to preach to the kids. And I remember that the youth pastor gave me a story. And the story was about a little boy that uh, his dad went away and the dad left him a list of things to do while he was on a trip. And uh, the, guy, the little boy was so excited he was going to please his father and do these things. So he got up the first day and started to do it. But one of his buddies came over and said, hey, you want to go play baseball? And he thought, ah, I can do it tomorrow. Uh, and, of course, the second day, one of his buddies came over and said, hey, you want to go to the pool? And he said, ah. I can do it tomorrow. And he kept putting it off over and over again. I remember telling that story, and I've heard pastors talk about that before. We're going to lose the opportunity to do things. Uh, let's uh, follow him and serve him now because there will always be other distractions. But serving him is a priority and a high calling. Paul referred to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. James did the same. Peter did the same. Uh, even Jude did the same when his letters. This is the role that we are called. We are called to serve our master, not to serve ourselves, not to serve other masters. I wanted to read something that Peter said at the end of his last epistle. He'd been writing to people who had faced persecution. They had faced hard times. And uh, he says this to them. He says, knowing that first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. I like that phrase. Scoffers going to scoff. Uh, but the scoffers are going to come in the last days with scoffing and they will be following their own desires. They will say, where is the promise coming? 
So we're going to live for ourselves. And that's what the first servant, I'm sorry, this evil servant is doing. He's saying, yeah, Jesus said he's coming back, but he hasn't come back yet. Uh, you know, we, we heard this forever. I'll do what I want. I'll serve myself. I'll serve uh, the master that I believe myself to be. Okay, now, second story is the story of, again, it's called maybe in your Bible, the story of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. It says the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. By the way, I have to, I have to do flashback to old Sunday school times for just a second here. From this story, there is a song. Does anybody remember the song, Give Me Oil for My Lamp? Okay, come on, let's have that flashback time. Anybody under 50 remember a song? Uh, say, give me oil for my lamp, keep me burning, burning. No? We used to make up, you got it? Uh, all right, she's under 50. Uh, but the, the uh, you know, we used to make up, you know, give me gas for my Ford, keep me trucking for the Lord. You remember that? Or give me, wait, wait, give me hot sauce for my taco, let me witness in Morocco. Did you know that one? Uh, okay, but anyway, we, we thought we were clever. Oh, wax for my board, keep me surfing for the Lord. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. But anyway, it comes out, of, uh, comes out of this idea of the oil and the lamp. Okay, five of them, okay, there's 10 of uh, these bridesmaids. Uh, five of them are foolish and five were wise. When the foolish one took their lamps, they had no oil with them, but the wise took flasks, flasks of oil uh, with their lamps. And the bridegroom was delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come and meet him. Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And when they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast. Uh, I'm sorry, went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Okay. We'll say it like this. Don't neglect preparation, but I want to go through this story because to me, this is, this is actually my favorite part of the sermon because I, I love the picture of this story. You see, in the Jewish culture, they, uh, they didn't have what you call an engagement. They called it a betrothal. They were betrothed to each other, okay? Some of you might remember that from around Christmas time because Mary and Joseph were betrothed. Okay, when you were betrothed, it was legally binding, Okay, it was a done deal. Not only that, the groom had to pay the price, had to pay the dowry. So the bride, if you will, in that culture was bought and paid for. It, it, was, it was legally binding. You might remember when, when they found out that Mary was pregnant, Joseph said it was my, he was minded to put her away privately because that would have been disgraceful because that was his wife uh, that would have done that. And, and then the angel came to Joseph and said, no, wait a minute, that's, uh, we, we got that, that's God uh, working there. But, but anyway, that betrothal is binding, it's done, it's over. But here's what happened in the culture then. The bridegroom would go away for about a year, and he would prepare a place for his bride, okay? And then when he comes back, there is a big celebration. They're, they're going to do it at night because they want to light, light up the world. So they have these lamps, probably more like torches. You probably have something like this pictured, but it's more like a torch that they would have if you look at the original language. And they're going to celebrate that he has come back. Now, hopefully you can kind of track along with that because here's what happens. The Bible says, in fact, Paul uses this word in 2 Corinthians. He says that we are betrothed to Christ. When we trust Christ, when we put our faith in him, uh, we become, that, it's a done deal, okay? We're bought and paid for, folks. It's all, it's all over. But where are we now? We're waiting here. 
You might remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. But, where I, uh, go, but if I go away, I will come again. Okay, that's what he promised is going to happen. That's where we are. Okay, we're engaged. He's gone to prepare a place for us. We're awaiting his return. And he said, I'm coming back. Okay, and when he comes back, oh, you talk about the celebration that's going to take place. Okay, you talk about that time, that victorious celebration. They're going to party at that wedding there. They would party for a week. Well, there's going to be a party, okay, because Jesus is coming back, and we look forward to that. But, uh, you know, that's just an incredible picture to me, like I said, of the salvation that we have there. But this is the time now of preparation. Okay, again, we're going to come back to each of these, but let's go ahead and jump to the third parable. For it will be, again, we're in chapter 25 now, but for it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts them to his property. You might remember this story. He is giving five talents, I'm sorry, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he had received the, the one who had received the five talents went at once, and he traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two more talents. And he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he had received, the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents. And the master said, you have delivered to me five talents? Here, uh, now, I'm sorry, master, I've made you five talents more. I'm sorry for the way I'm killing that. And his master said to him, Here's what he said. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enjoy. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also that had two talents came forward. The master said, you, uh, master, you delivered me two talents. I've made you two more. And the master said, now notice, exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice that phrase at the top, the phrase that we just read there. They both hear the same thing. Now, we're going to talk about that third servant later, and we'll read about him. But again, uh, the third thing we could say is we're not to squander what God has given us. A talent wasn't like we think of it today. America's got talent. Okay? Does anybody else get bothered when they have foreign acts on there? Yeah, I don't know why that offends me. Uh, wait a minute. They're from Yugoslavia. Let them go on. Yugoslavia's got talent. Not America's got talent. But, but I get over it pretty quickly. But, the, uh, but that's what we think of a talent is just our ability. A talent actually was a weight, probably of silver or gold, uh, worth about 10 years' income. Okay, so this is very valuable. Okay, so it's, it's this heavy weight that they had, the silver or gold, so this is very valuable that they have. But basically the lesson is what many preachers will say is that if God gives us something, we're to use it for his glory. Okay, if God, whatever God gives us. God gives us influence. God gives us authority. God gives us money. God gives us possessions. Uh, God gives us personality. God gives us talents uh, in different areas. Everything like that should be used for his glory. That is the lesson. Now, I say it kind of like that because oftentimes this is a great tool for pastors to to manipulate again some of those other guys uh do that you know yeah if you're not using what god has god's gonna take it away from you i've heard pastors say that okay not really the overall message now again is the idea that we are to use our talents for his glory most certainly you know what i love about this story i pointed out that phrase is the same both of them uh one has made five more talents one has made two more talents their reward is the same i love that 
And the reason I love that is we realize that what we are called to do is take what God has given us and take and where God has placed us and serve him for his glory. There is not a comparison that says, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, but this person over here did so much more. I love that because I can get up each day and say, what does God have for me to do today to live for his glory? Maybe what I have to do today to live for his glory is, is love my grandkids. That's a, a good day like that. I get shepherd him, but, but I do that for his glory and I live for his glory. And maybe there is somebody else who's preaching to thousands of people and that's what God has for him to do. And God says, that's okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be faithful. It's not all about the quantity. It, uh, it is about the faithfulness. Say faithful. Don't you love that though? That's how God is. He gives us the task that we are called to do. I don't know if you, you uh, think I'm selling myself short here, but I kind of have the, the idea at this point point in my life that I'm probably not going to be a world famous preacher. Your laughter is just painful. That's cutting. Uh, but you know, no, I got that. Somebody said something about, hey, hey, you'd go viral if you did that. I have one chance of going viral. Someday I'm going to fall off the platform uh, coming down. That'll go viral. Okay. That'll, that'd be the only, only shot I really have. But that's okay. Honestly, that's not, I am called to be obedient to God where he has placed me to do what he has called me to do. Okay, if that is, you know, maintain whatever it is, whatever occupation God has you in, whatever place you have, uh, wherever you are in your family and everything like that, that's what you're called to do. I love that. Sorry. Side note, we still didn't get to the main idea. We got to get back to it. Okay, we want to get back to these uh, where we started at the beginning of where he says the end is, because bottom line is what Jesus is telling these folks is that you want to be ready. You want to be completely ready. So the first thing is now is the time. Okay, remember the two servants uh, at the beginning and the one says, hey, I got plenty of time. Yeah, yeah, you told me he's coming back, but I don't see him anywhere, so I think I'm going to live my life how I want. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I just want to say this. Uh, I am concerned because in every church there are people that are coming and they're kind of watching and they're kind of interested and they're, they're considering Jesus. I'm considering, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about whether or not I really uh, want to trust him, whether I want to follow him, whether I believe all this. But I've got time. Okay, and that concerns me as a pastor because I think what Jesus is saying here is very plain. You do not know how much time you have. I have deliberately not let you know uh, when uh, the return is. You do not know. And so I would say, if that is your situation today, I am greatly concerned for you. You know, I I love you and please keep coming. But I do not want uh, to let you think that someday, you know, when you stand before Jesus Christ, you can say, well, hey, I was thinking about it, Lord. Uh, I was thinking about trusting you. I was thinking about placing my my faith in you. I was considering it. In the story of the 10 virgins or the 10 uh, bridesmaids, notice that uh, some of them had the oil and some of them did not. And those without the oil decided that they'd they'd seek the other ones and say, hey, can, can you help us out here? I'd like us to realize that you can't borrow somebody else's faith. When you stand before Jesus, there will be one question. What have you 
done. When the disciples were talking with Jesus one time, uh, they, were, they were asking him, Jesus, a lot of people say this about you. Some say you're a prophet. Uh, over here, some say you're a great teacher, everything thing like that. They were asking him, you know, they were telling him what other people said. And Jesus turned it around to the most important question. He says, who do you say that I am? Okay. You say he's the Savior, great, but here's the thing. Do you say that he is your Savior, that you have placed it, your faith, placed your faith and trust in him for forgiveness of sin, that you realize that you personally needed a Savior, not that he is just the Savior, but that he is your Savior? Because the tendency can be very much to think, hey, hey, you know, wait a minute, you know, I hung around church. I, uh, my family were Christians, everything like that. But as is the case with these bridesmaids, everybody looked good, if you will. They all looked the same. And it was, when it was time to trim the lamps, they all trimmed their lamps. They all did the work, if you will. They were all involved in the work. But some of them had the oil. Oil so often represents the Spirit of God in the Bible. Some of them had something inside. They did more than just look the part of a Christian. They had the heart of a Christian, a heart that had trusted Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin, and and they had that new life inside of them, that oil that represents that life. They had that, so therefore they were ready, and others were not. And I'm sorry, but read how the story ends. The others were, the door was shut. Pastor, I don't really like that kind of preaching. I understand. I really do, because... You know, sometimes I'm like, hey, I, I just, I love talking about the, you know, the, the picture of the bridesmaids going away and everything like that. But please, please know, I try as much as anything. I want to be faithful to what God's word says. And look how he ended each of these parables. He said, hey, if you're not ready, if you're not ready, if you're not ready, it's not going to be a pretty picture. That last story about the talents, I want to read just a little bit more of the story. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward and he said this. He said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you didn't scatter seeds. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here is what is yours. But his master answered us, you wicked and slothful servant. Okay, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not. Okay, this is what you thought about me. This is how you saw me. Um, then you ought to have invested my money, if that's how you thought, with the bankers. And at least I'd, I'd receive the interest on it. So take the talents from him and give it to the one who has more talents. For to everyone who has, will be, uh, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And in place in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this guy's perception of God, this guy's perception in this case of the master, but it gives us a picture is that he is cruel. Okay. He had the wrong view of the master. But as a result of the master, he did not trust him and his mercy. He did not put his, his faith and his, and his trust in him. He did not trust him. And once again, you can see where that ends up because of his one wrong view of God. Now, what, again, uh, the sermons that I said before that you might have heard, you know, okay, Jesus is coming. Let's make good use of our time. Jesus is coming. Let's prepare. Let's get ready. Okay, Jesus is coming. Let's use our talents for God. All those are good points. But here's what Jesus is really saying in this story more than anything. I am coming back. I'm coming back. Some of you have responded to the 
gospel of Jesus Christ, the most important thing. When you talk about a talent that we have in our hands, there's something that we possess. The, the most, our most cherished possession is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, that is the greatest thing we have. That is the thing that we do not want to hoard. That is the thing that we want to share with other people. That is the thing uh, that we ought to value more than anything. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God sent his son to die in my place. There is a price for sin. Oh, indeed there is because we have a holy and a righteous God. But God so loved this world that he was willing even to pay that price in sending his son to pay the price for sin. That is the message of the gospel. That's what we hold on to. In the book of Thessalonians, Paul writes and he says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. But it is that idea of us being entrusted with the gospel. I want to take a couple minutes here at the end and share a personal story with you. Um, hopefully you'll see why uh, it, it is more personal to my wife than it is to me. I, I talked to her and we decided that uh, even though it's a little bit painful to tell the story and painful for her to hear the story, uh, it is worth it when, when you hear the nature of the story. Last year on Labor Day, so I guess a year from tomorrow or so, somewhere around there, uh, Francis and I had gotten up. We had the day off and uh, as we off do if there's a day off, I make pancakes outside on the griddle. So I had made her pancakes, blueberry for me, pumpkin for her. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and you know, maybe we'll do this tomorrow too. But I remember we were sitting there and had some music playing and we were just enjoying our patio and breakfast and everything like that. And she got a phone call from her parents. And um, her dad had kind of been just behaving very strangely already for a couple weeks and he got on the phone and he was crying and he said I can't do anything else I can't I can't go back to work I can't drive anymore I need you to come get me I need you to come to, to Oklahoma and get him well you know we kind of okay well, well all right let us uh, make you know talk to the family and everything like that and see what we're going to do but later on that day I drove Francis over to Chicago and she and her sister went down to Oklahoma and, and started the process of caring for them and and even started the process of moving them uh, eventually uh, her sister w over in the Chicago land area they uh, were going to take their garage and turn it into an apartment for them and they were going to come up but several trips later, uh, you know, we were down there. Uh, I guess I was down there a couple times, and Francis was down there, I think, three more times. You know, we went down to help them get ready and everything like that. We went through this process. Uh, Francis has been very concerned for her father for a long time because he doesn't really show any evidence of having a relationship with God. And she's been very burdened about that and wanted to share uh, again, the gospel with him. So I know on that first trip down there, she made a specific point to do that and did on an ensuing trip just to talk to him and just say, Dad, I'm concerned about you. I love you. And he was, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, you know, just, just kind of let me alone. And we continued to do that. And we kind of had this vision that when he got up here to this area, you know, we'd see a lot more of them and we could connect a little bit more and continue to share uh, God's love with him and continue to, to, uh, to be a witness to him. And we would see, uh, you know, those opportunities come. Well, as things played out, um, he was staying temporarily with his son down in Arkansas. And one night uh, they just found him on the bathroom floor. Uh, he had his heart stopped. We don't, you know, we still don't know why the failure to thrive is how they, how they put it there that he passed away. Um, a couple things just in, in light of what we're talking about, the whole idea of getting ready. One is 
my wife wanted to make sure that he heard that she loved him, that God loved him, and that God had sent his son to die on the cross for him. She wanted to make sure he heard that. Didn't know how many chances she had, and she did. She made sure. We, I'd love to tell you a thrilling story of his response, but I can't. I do not know if he ever responded to it. I, like I said, we kind of hoped, we kind of thought there'd be a lot more chances. Uh, we thought, hey, he's in pretty good shape. There's no disease that we know of. You know, he's going to live a while longer, and, and he'll get up here, and we'll spend more time with him. We thought there were going to be more chances. Very simply, we don't know. We don't know what chances will be. And this, tra- uh, in Corinthians, Paul wrote, and he talked about that. He said, he said, we have this light in our lives. But he said, it's a treasure that's in, he calls them jars of clay. You might have heard that expression. They're in earthen vessels. That's who we are. We're these uh, flawed vessels and everything like that. But in these flawed vessels, God has placed this truth of the gospel. And ultimately, more than anything, we want to share that. I'm sitting last night watching football game. And um, decided to turn on the computer. And, and uh, when I did, um, I guess because I'd been Googling a lot about Jesus' return, a song came up. It's a song by King and Country. I hadn't heard it before. Maybe you had. But uh, the title was, What Are We Waiting For? And I thought, well, I better listen to that. Uh, so I did. And then I looked up the words. And one line in there really caught my attention. This, this line, they asked the question, what if we could be the light that no one could ignore? Okay, we have that light. What if we could be that light that no one could ignore? And as we look at this story and as we look at what Jesus is saying, I am coming back. Again, I'm not making any prediction. I have no idea what what the timing. And Jesus said we don't know. But he also makes very plain that we are to live expectantly. We are to live joyfully expecting his return, uh, that, that he is coming back. So what is it that we look at that and say, hey, what if, you know, where, what, what if I'm the light that somebody's going to see and almost like they can't resist it because that light shine, shines so bright? What if God wants to use me in that way? But how important it is that we look at that and realize what Jesus is saying more than anything when you talk about being ready, it centers around the gospel. It centers around the message that God so loved the world. First of all, have you received that message? And secondly, are we sharing that message? That's the most important part of getting ready. Okay, that's the most important part of being ready for the return of Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing the uh, Scars song again, I think. Um, As we do, I always love that song because, and again, when I prayed, I realized that some of you, for some of you, you have some things in your life where the scar is very fresh. Uh, I think I've gotten to the age where I can look back on a lot of things now and I just, I can just remember it. There's no pain. Uh, there's no itching. There's just a scar. Well, there's a lot of things in my life that are like that. And I realize some of the difficulties in my life, how God brought me through and he brought me closer to him in those things. But sometimes those things take time. But then, you know, the, the last verse talks about I'm thankful for the scars there in his hands. And we remember with that that, yes, indeed, there is a holy and just God. And he will come and he will, if you will, make payment uh, or demand payment, I should say. But here's the thing. My price has already been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. I put my faith and my trust in him. I'm not counting on, well, I'm a pastor. You got to let me in. Uh, that ain't going to fly. 
But uh, I'm counting on this. I trusted Jesus. See him? See those scars in his hands? I trusted in him. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm counting on. So on this Labor Day weekend, get ready. It's guaranteed Jesus is coming back. He, told, he said it's a, it is a done deal. It's a, it's a for sure thing. I'm not telling you when. So how about today? What step would he have for us to take to get ready? Let's sing and worship him together again. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and be seated for just a second because I have three things and some of you look tired. <laughs> Not that I saw your eyelids during the sermon or anything, but uh, some of you look a little tired. But uh, one thing is this. Uh, this Saturday is a funeral for Lorraine, and um, I just want to mention, uh, man, when you talk about that sermon that I preached today, I don't know of anybody who made her minutes count more for the spread of the gospel than Lorraine. Uh, and uh, man, I'm sorry, I'm just, might get choked up a little bit here. John is, is down with his daughter today, and he's not here, so if I cry, I can not feel too bad to cry in front of him. But, um, yeah, well done. <laughs> can you, uh, I think last Wednesday she heard those words. Uh, well done with the gifts and talents, everything that she had. I'm sorry. Got sidetracked here for a second. But anyway, one, uh, one to four on Saturday is the time we set aside. So at one o'clock, there will be a service in here, followed by the greeting or reception time, whatever you want to call that. I don't, we're not planning a meal because size of the crowd, and we didn't want to say, oh, wait, you get a meal, you get a cookie, you get it, you know, like that. So we're just going to do like snacky type things. I don't have the details on that yet, but we'll have them. So we'll send out a note, probably church-wide, in case you would like to help with that, bringing something, uh, I'll let you know. But that service is at 1 o'clock here on Saturday. And uh, we will take the opportunity to, to mourn somebody that we love and celebrate somebody that was a great gift from God uh, in our lives. So we'll do that on, on Saturday. And then I also wanted to mention uh, uh, the other guy, Josh. He mentioned that uh, we're going to start a new series next week. A series called Bedrock. We're going to talk about, we're going to start with this whole idea. And maybe even today you have some questions. Well, I don't know if I believe that about God or whatever like that. We're going to take the first couple weeks and really talk about what the Bible says about God, that we can know him, know how he is revealed to us. So we're not just making up our own thing about, hey, here's how I like to think of God. We'll see how God is revealed in Scripture, what it says about Him. But we're going to talk about some of those just core beliefs. The first two go with that. Uh, then we're going to talk about what we believe about man, uh, what we believe about the church, what we believe about our purpose in life, a lot of different things about that for seven weeks. I'm saying that because I'm asking, and we're going to send out another note about that this week, asking everybody to really make an effort to listen to all seven of those sermons. If there's a week you're going to be gone, uh, then... Uh, I'll ask you to get online and listen to it because I really like you to catch up because they are kind of bedrock. You want to know what, what, what is believed in a Bible preaching church? Boom, here you go. We, we want to we wanna condense it to seven weeks like that. F Father, um, yeah, our prayer, kind of like the disciples, we'd, <laughs> God, we'd love it if you come quickly. But, Lord, we want, we, we want to live joyfully anticipating your coming. Lord, may that be an anchor, a hope in our life that... Uh, yeah, it helps us to deal with some of the nastiness of this world. Oh, Lord, sorry, I've got to ramble for one more second here. I was just thinking about how incredibly good a lot of the things that we enjoy on this earth are, even in a world that is messed up by sin. Uh, relationships are messed up by sin, and yet we can have some great ones. And, and I was just thinking as I, how incredible things are going to be when sin's out of the picture. 
in your kingdom rule and reign. Lord, Lord, may we focus on that. Uh, may we uh, anticipate that, and may it impact the way we live our lives, I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.